So there's actually a video I wanted to share with you guys uh, during the first episode of this, and I kind of got sidetracked and I forgot to bring it up. But when I went to go see Kiss in 2016 for the first time, uh, my wife likes to point out that after the curtain drops and uh, Detroit Rock City starts playing, uh, I do, I'm do i cheering and I'm clapping, and I do this maniacal laugh when the fireworks explode and all the lights are on and you know the riff is going on strong. Uh, so that's something I forgot to mention with you guys in the last episode, but since we're going to pick up where we left off, finishing uh, the rest of Kiss's story, I figured I would... Uh, I'd bring that up. Um, I'm kind of considering sharing it on Facebook just to let you guys see. Uh, it's actually kind of, sometimes it's kind of embarrassing. Like, do you ever record yourself at a live show and you can hear you singing in the background? Uh, sometimes I'm like, man, I don't want people to hear that shit. But it's kind of funny. And if you pay, it, I'll kind of if I end up posting it, I'll mark the I'll mark the uh, time time of the video where I start doing that laugh, and it's pretty quick, it's pretty subtle, but you can you can definitely hear, it, especially if you know when it's going to happen. Uh, so, guys, uh, I guess it's kind of like a Q and A. Uh, if you want me to post that video, if you want to hear that maniacal laugh, uh, hit the hit up the Facebook page, uh, leave a comment on the uh, link for the episode episode release post, uh, or just message me or whatever. And see if you guys let me know if you wanna if you wanna hear me laugh maniacally uh, during the first time that I experienced Kiss live. And guys, if you're loving the show, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever platform you're listening on. I'm actually thinking about adding Amazon Podcasts to this repertoire. Uh, I've talked to a few people, and they say they use they use Amazon, but they'd love to hear the show. So I just want to create. Uh, a big enough platform for everyone to listen, wherever they're listening from. Um, but if you love the show, if you're loving what you're listening to, and you keep hitting play, and you're enjoying yourself, just consider leaving a leaving a review. Uh, but guys, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead, get this story finished, and let's get into episode three. Alrighty then, let's jump back into the story. Let's get episode 3 officially started. We left off in the year 1982. Kiss just released Creatures of the Night. This is going to be Kiss's last album, Wearing the Makeup. As we discussed last time, Eric Carr is now the drummer in the band. Peter Chris is gone. Eric dons the makeup and the character The Fox. But Kiss is losing steam still. Sure, Creatures of the Night has some good tracks on it, but we're not selling out shows. We're canceling to we're canceling dates. We've lost we've lost something. Well, Kiss is about to lose something else in the form of their lead guitarist, Ace Freely. Kiss is about to lose their second original member. And unlike Peter Chris's replacement. Eric Carr, who goes on, like I said last week, to be Kiss is probably the greatest drummer they've ever had. Kiss isn't going to replace Ace Freely with the best guitarist Kiss is ever going to have because he is him. He is the GOAT. There is no better lead guitarist for the band than Ace Freely, in my opinion. And we're going to shuffle through a few guitarists. 
Now, Kiss does eventually land on a couple good ones. One especially goes by the name of Bruce Kulick. Kulick, you've heard that last name a couple times in last week's episode. That is the younger brother of Bob Kulick. Bob played some guitar tracks on a couple albums when Ace and Peter are one foot in, one foot out. He auditioned for the band, only to be denied because he didn't have the look they were looking for. Well, in walks his younger brother, but that's not right now. That's a little later. Let's get to that when we get to the, le- the middle to latter part of the 80s. So during the last leg of the Creatures of the Night tour, Ace Freely's talking about how he's, he's on the verge of losing it. He can't handle this anymore. And once they return back from, their, from the last leg of the tour, stick a fork in him, everybody. Ace Freely is done. He's not fired. He quits the band. And what I love about Ace Freely is that he makes it a point when he does interviews even to, even to this day. He lets everyone know, I wasn't fired from KISS. I quit the band. Whether we like it or not, I hate it. But Ace leaves the band. He chooses, he chooses to leave. And now KISS is officially down their original drummer and their original lead guitarist. And so now, just as quickly as we started building this band... And it rose to prominence and excess, excess popularity and success. It's like they're dropping like flies. The manager's gone. We didn't talk about Bill. We talked a little bit about Bill Coin. We didn't talk about his cocaine addiction that overtook him. And how the relationship with the band began to crumble. The manager's gone. Peter's gone. Ace is gone. Is Kiss gone? That's what the other two members are asking themselves at this time. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going to happen. No more fear-mongering. Kiss doesn't go anywhere, but they do They do hire someone, and his name is Vinnie Vincent. Now, Vinnie Vincent is a strange, strange fella. I'm not afraid to say it. He's not my favorite guitarist. Uh, there are some diehard Vinnie Vincent fans who, who do love him, especially love him in Kiss, um, but there are issues kind of right off the bat, and which is why things don't last long. The relationship between Kiss and Vinnie Vincent doesn't last very long. Uh, Paul Stanley talks about how he didn't he didn't like the idea of hiring Vinnie Vincent to fill Ace's spot, um, and he makes it apparent when they make the decision. He tells Gene, um, just straight up, this is a bad idea. But there's no one else. No one else is coming to mind. Nothing else. No one's rising to the occasion. Let's just go with this guy because we've got another tour planned at the end of this year and we need to have a permanent fit. So technically, Kiss still hasn't officially taken off their makeup. Uh, Kiss is planning to move. At this point, they have plans to move forward with the makeup. So uh, Vinnie Vincent's in the band and he dons his own makeup and his own new character just as Eric Carr did. So Vinny is debuted as the Egyptian Ankh. I think I'm saying that right, Ankh. Uh, the makeup, personally, I'm not a fan of it. The character, I mean, it's just like a, it's white face paint with, I think it's a gold cross around the eyes. It's, it's not good. It doesn't look very good. In my opinion, it doesn't look very good. Uh, but I'm not the biggest Vinny Vincent fan. And I think it's I think it's for the best that Kiss shortly after brought Vinnie Vincent in and gave him makeup, they decide soon after to take the makeup off and just perform as their uh, faces with no mask, no makeup, or anything covering themselves up. 
but it's not a it's not a matter of one day waking up and saying, "Hey, let's take the makeup off." Hey, good idea, let's do it. No, Gene and Paul both can't agree on this. Paul thinks this as a way of we have no choice. Look at Creatures of the Night. It tanked. It's 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 a good album. He thinks it's a good album, and it is. But there's no sales. Uh, the tour failed. E- everything is crumbling, and so Paul sees it as this is the only way we can survive is to take this makeup. This is our this is our last choice. This is what we have to do if we want to keep going. And either we're going to fall flat on our face and fizzle out, or it's going to catapult us back into being relevant again. And he's trying to convince Gene that this is what we have to do, but uh, as Paul explains it, they don't make the decision until they're on the edge of the cliff, and Gene decides, well, let's just take a leap of faith because we're already here at the edge of the cliff. Let's go ahead and jump. Um, so in 1983, that's what Kiss does. They take off the makeup, uh, and they don their regular faces. And uh, so if you think about it in the eighties, this is the first time everyone's seeing what Kiss looks like. And can you imagine what if, <laughs> what if you'd been seeing this guy walk in the streets of New York city for six or seven years and you're like, holy shit, that's been Paul Stanley this or Gene Simmons this whole time. Um, and it's a big thing. They actually get MTV to uh, do a press release about Kiss's quote-unquote unmasking, even though it's a little weird for me to say that because they had a uh, an album back in 1980, as we talked about last week, called Unmasked, uh, which they didn't take the makeup off. And what's funny about this part, too, is uh, so when they were starting to pitch the idea more to uh, band management about taking the makeup off, uh, the person who was kind of head of head of uh, business with the band had suggested, well, what if you just take off half of the makeup? And I just don't know if, well, I do know. I can tell you, I think if Kiss would have done that, I think that would have that would have been the nail in the coffin. I don't think they would have been able to recover from that. Um, could you imagine seeing Kiss the way they are, and then listening to the style of their music in the '80s with half of any makeup on, really? I don't think it would have worked, and I think uh, obviously it shows because Kiss kept on and had, had did have a lot of success in the '80s, and immediate success came actually after they decided to take uh, take that makeup off. So they take it off and they start writing uh, their next album, "Lick It Up," and "Lick It Up" uh, is a sol- it's a solid album, and I think I've said that about all, most Kiss albums being solid, uh, but. The, the history is there. Uh, it sells better. It uh, it ends up going gold, actually, uh, before the end of the year. And then, of course, over the course of the next six or seven years, by 1990, it's certified platinum. Um, and so, to Paul's credit, he thinks that uh, people, for the last few years with Kiss and the Makeup, with the new characters, losing people, all the band drama, uh, Kiss is preaching... Is, is trying to preach a message, but they're not the same band. They're not a rock and... They're still a rock and roll band, but they're not this band that people are seeing. And so that's what's causing... That's what's causing so much of this downfall. And you could say he's he's pretty right on that, because once they take the makeup off, even though Creatures, Creatures of the Night was a solid album, the sales weren't there, but then they take the makeup off. Paul doesn't think Lick It Up is as good as Creatures, but it sells better. It sells more... They have another gold record. Uh, so it just shows you just how much appearance 
is just as important of how good your music is. Uh, but on Lick It Up, we get we get some very good songs, a lot of good classic Kiss songs. Of course, we get the title track, uh, Lick It Up, uh, which gets a music video. And so, what I like about it is, let's say you didn't, let's say you didn't see the unmasking of Kiss on TV, because uh, of course, remember this is the early '80s. You can't just go and look it up on YouTube. Uh, so the video starts off and you see them walking, uh, and the, the camera shots of just their feet. And I think, I think it's Paul, he's wearing leopard, uh, leopard skin boots. I mean, they're, they've got type, it, they've got eighties clothes on. They're dressed more, more colorful, uh, flamboyant. Um, and then the camera kind of pans up to their face and then it zooms in on the face really quick at the beginning. And it's like this, it's like the first time you're seeing kiss. This is this is Kiss without their makeup on. So I think that does a good job of getting it right in your face. Take it or leave it. And people took to it and they loved it. Uh, but other songs, a couple other songs we get on this album are uh, All Hell's Breaking Loose and Not For The Innocent. And I think those are, I, I would say those are the three, the best three tracks from, from this 10-track uh, uh, album. Um, what, what's also kind of more uh, prevalent in this album is... You start. You definitely tell a different style of guitar. You can hear a different uh, tone of the guitar in this album. It's a bit harsher. Uh, it's a bit faster. Vinnie Vincent can he he can play fast. He can play a ton of notes, but Paul kind of takes away from that when he's talking. Why he doesn't? He didn't think that he was such a good fit because he would play guitar flamboyantly, which is which excellent. He can he can play a ton of notes. He can. He can shred, basically. There you go. He can shred. But when he plays, it's almost like puking because he's just throwing it out there. He's not thinking. It's not filling correctly. He's not putting it in the right spot. And then as time goes on, what what kind of goes, kind of spells out his departure is how fucking long he drags out solos during live shows and how he uses every opportunity to, to do a solo and showcase himself. So he's very... Paul calls, he claims he's a bit, he's a lot selfish, and uh, he was, he talks about in his book how one night during a show in California, uh, Vinny's just going on, on and on, this solo, he's dragging it out so long that the band is able to go backstage, talk, and look back, and he's still playing, he hasn't stopped. So Paul is fed up, and he's like, we got to get on with this damn show. So he just goes up to the mic while he's still playing and says, Vinny Vincent, lead guitar, and stops the solo dead in his track so the show could continue. And that causes a ton of uh, a ton of uh, friction between him and Vinny at this show. And uh, I don't think anyone was punched, but I think they were, uh, I think two guys in leopard skin pants and boots were about to, uh, and pink shirts were about to punch each other. Uh, after this show so kiss is fortunate that the few decisions the few immediate decisions that they make after losing uh peter and ace they really do hit the refresh button they they rebuild bit they they rebuild kiss and rebrand it and it works it pays off they've got a gold album they got a platinum album um they're selling records now the next test is Okay, how do we get this on the road, and how do we get this to be a successful KISS show? Because now that the makeup's off, the characters aren't there. Gene can't do his his demon flying, his uh, setting stuff on, spitting fire. Um, 
doing the uh, the blood coming out of his mouth. So what do they do? Well, let's just skip the gimmicks and just put on a rock show. Uh, let's let's play our fucking music, and that's what they did, and it, and it worked. Uh, even though the first show, one of the first shows they played uh, <laughs> after going on tour with the makeup off. Uh, the first show is actually advertised as a show with uh, characters in makeup. So imagine going to a kid's show thinking you're going to see the four guys dressed in their makeup and these four guys wearing bright colored clothes come out. Uh, luckily, it didn't start a riot. Luckily, the show was a success and did finish. And uh, it set Kiss up to... Sh- uh, set Kiss up to believe in themselves that they could put on a rock show and they didn't need the characters. They didn't need the makeup. They didn't need their normal, quote-unquote, gimmicks to get by. They are, they've, they've proved to themselves, we're the real thing. We're a band that can make it on our own steam with our music. But as we discussed earlier, Vinnie Vincent doesn't last long in the band. And after the tour, uh, his erratic behavior, his insane solos... Uh, his get the camera onto me and only me attitude just doesn't gel with the band, and he's let go from the band. And the funny thing about Vinnie Vincent is, I think, I think there's reports. I think I've read some stuff here recently that he is still trying to sell memorabilia, kiss memorabilia that he has for outrageous prices. And I, that's, I don't really, I guess I can't speak on his situation because I don't know. I don't keep up with him. But it kind of spells out like is someone having issues and they're having to try to sell all this shit for an expensive price to cover some finances. I don't know. Or is he just really got that many screws loose up top as much as I do, I guess. I don't know. But Kiss starts. Uh, Kiss is going to start recording their next album in 1984 uh, called Animalize. Now, this, this album is well-received. Personally, though, this isn't my favorite album, um, which doesn't always matter uh, because it's a look at it. I don't care particularly care for it, but it it was well received and people think it's a solid album. It happens. Uh, but when they're getting ready to record, they of course are looking for a new guitarist, and I guess according to Paul, we shouldn't say we. We should say him because he says that Gene has not he's not left the band in any form of but he's alienated himself in a selfish way. He's going out to cut demos for uh, some solo work. Apparently he was in a movie uh, and kind of left the heavy lifting uh, for Paul. Um, So Paul comes across this guy named Mark Norton and who changes his name to, or goes by the name of Mark St. John. And we all know that Mark St. John becomes the next guitarist of Kiss. But just as soon as they find a guitarist, it's another guitarist that his stint isn't going to last very long. Um, they put out the album Animal Eyes. They go on tour with it. But Mark comes down with a condition that swells his hands and he can't move them. And this occurs just a few weeks before the tour. And so the, the tour starts. They go. Mark can't play. So Paul decides, hey, we've used Bruce and the, Bruce Kulik in the past. Let's give him a call to see if he could come play a few shows. Bruce agrees. He comes out. He plays. He plays in Mark's place. Uh, rocks it, of course. Um, and as the days goes on, as the days on, on the tour go on, uh, 
Paul keeps checking in with Mark. Hey, is this getting any better? When are you going to play? It's always, it's just push back and push back and push back. Well, tomorrow, well, no, the next day, a week. And so they decide the decision has to be made. Sorry, Mark, you got to go. Bruce, you are, we're going to move forward with you as our guitarist. <laughs> so Kiss now, two albums, two guitar, three guitar players. Uh, just an insane turnaround. Um, but I actually own, I own both of these two albums on vinyl. I've got Lick It Up, which I think I, I can't remember where I've got both of them. But I have Lick It Up, I have Animal Eyes, and even though I, I guess, quote unquote, I'm talking, talk, I've talked shit about the album. Uh, there's, there are worse Kiss albums than this one, uh, the Elder, <laughs> the Elder for one. Uh, but there are, there's. There's a few songs I like there. I mean, Heavens on Fire is the uh, Heavens on Fire is the album's hit. Uh, gets a music video, uh, but I think I have about four or five. So I guess I do have half of the songs that I have downloaded. But they're the kind of songs that I have, and a lot of times after a few, like maybe a minute, I'll skip them. Um, uh, burn, bitch, burn. Uh, that's a good song. Lonely as a hunter. I have it downloaded, but that's one that I just. I'll get past the first chorus and then get into the verse, and after that, I'm I usually will skip it. I'll tap my headphones and and uh, go to the next song. Uh, While the city sleeps is pretty good. I like the way that the guitar comes in with uh, the way Mark does it. Um, but it's just not I don't know. It's it's not for me too much. But I don't know if I I don't know if I can say that and have half of it downloaded. And it's just so funny that you know. When you're younger, you'll listen to a song, you'll sing it, but you don't put the lyrics together at all. Like so, the song "Burn, Bitch, Burn." Even though, of course, I knew that "bitch" was a bad word <laughs> when I was a kid. I didn't put the lyrics together until I was a little older. And actually, I was listening to it with my wife, and you know, Gene comes in. You know, he sings the chorus and he's talking. And he's he says, I want to put my log into your fireplace. I kind of looked over at him. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I was today years old when I realized, I think this song is about fucking. Which I shouldn't be too surprised because uh, how many Kiss songs are about that? I mean, let's go back to the first album, Nothing to Lose. That song is about anal. That song is about putting it, <laughs> Gene wanting to put it into his girl's butt. Uh, she's got nothing to lose. Now that I've got a baby, I try every way, and then after the first verse, uh, she wants to do it every day. <laughs> I guess in Gene's case, it, it really worked out for him. I just don't want to be in the car one day listening to Kiss, and you know, my toddler starts starting to put words together and sentences, and he's singing, got nothing to lose. He goes to school, and his teacher's like, I... Yeah, I think we need to have a conference because your kid is singing about some some shit that he doesn't need to be saying. <laughs> right, so, but Kiss has now gone two years. They're two years removed from what they thought was going to be their, could be their end. And they do turn the corner. Uh, even though they're shuffling through lead guitarist, uh, Eric is still a steady drummer in the band. And he's really shining. Um, and now they've landed on Bruce Kulick, uh, who's going to have who's going to be with the band for over for over 10 years. And they've got two good they've got two solid albums, they got two solid tours and they're they're selling and they're making money and not only are they making more and more regular music videos, but now these music videos are getting played by MTV. 
Paul talks about how MTV would record music videos such as I Love It Loud for Creatures of the Night, but they wouldn't play it. They would say, oh, yeah, we'll play it. But you could tell it, they just it's got significantly less playtime than anyone else. But as successful as Kiss is doing, they're selling two. They sold, ended up selling two million copies uh, a piece of "Lick It Up" and "Animalize," which I think puts them in double platinum, double platinum uh, uh, territory. Now, bands, hair bands such as Van Halen, Def Leppard, are doing even better than them. Five times as better. They're selling ten million of their records. And so it's a little humbling for Kiss. Remember, they were the top. They're for the mid to late 70s. I mean, Kiss was on top of the world. And now they're still having that same success. But everyone that came after them has found a way to do it better than they did in their prime. So, yes, we've established Kiss has found success again. Um, And the long staple in the band has always been Gene and Paul are helping keep this thing together. Uh, in the midst of losing these two members and rebuilding. Um, but during this time, I guess th- this there's a sense of animosity in the air between Paul and Gene. Paul thinks that Gene is only putting half effort to the band and if not put, putting half, if not more effort into his own personal projects um, by trying to go out and produce for other younger bands Trying to introduce bands like Guns N' Roses, uh, some other some other bands that are starting to come in, in prominence, and he says that Gene Paul feels that Gene isn't giving his fair share to to Kiss as he should, and is still expecting the same money and the same cut that Paul's getting, even though Paul says he feels he's doing a hundred percent of the work. Um, it's more of a hundred hundred percent to Gene's somewhere between thirty and fifty percent. And so there's a lot of bickering and arguing, and Paul goes on to feel that he is has been betrayed by Gene, and who, up to this point, has thought this is if there's any one person that I can lean on, depend on to come through, it's this man Gene. And now, for the first time, it's not feeling that way. And maybe, maybe I could, maybe I could connect that to why I think uh, some of the albums during this time just are are can be kind of subpar, like Animal Eyes. And we're going to get into Asylum here in a minute. And if it wasn't for Tears for, uh, Tears Are Falling, I wouldn't. there wouldn't be another song on that album that I'd care to listen to. Paul kind of touches on that when he talks about Gene spending all this time doing other stuff. That he hands Paul these quote-unquote shit, shit projects for songs and expects them to be in the album. And there's only so much he can do to make them look good. Uh, could that be... Could that be the... The full extent of what's going on, or could it be that maybe Paul's struggling too? I don't know, but all I do know is that they are struggling with their songwriting, and even though they're selling, they're still not putting out the best albums, uh, especially not up to the normal Kiss standard and not to the standard that all the other bands uh, are putting out right now. You know, when they're selling over five million albums at a time when they release an album. And then Kiss gets into the old classic uh, manager screwing them over financially situation. The little, uh, what's it, Jerry Heller and NWA situation, as I would call it. Um, 
their manager Howard Marks. He ends up basically he ends up making a bunch of shitty decisions, a lot of stones that were never addressed and that were left unturned. Basically, it comes down to this platinum selling platinum album selling band uh, owes the IRS millions of dollars, and so they decide to part ways with him and. And this is another another example of shows the disconnect between uh, Paul and Gene at the time. Uh, Paul finds out uh, he has another uh, he has another set of eyes look at the paperwork and confirms it, which I think is his therapist at the time. Uh, and then he explains it to Gene, and Gene is completely defensive about it. It's no, it's not possible. Everything's fine. Blah blah blah. We're making money. We we have all this going. Completely blind. I guess he says he feels that he's completely blinded by all of his other side projects and and his lack of uh, involvement in the band at the time. Uh, but eventually, he gets him to sit down. It is with with Paul's therapist. He sits him down with with his therapist, and uh, they go over the paperwork and it's explained to him what happens. But he's still kind of teeter tottering on what they're going to do if they're going to leave Howard or not. Um, and Paul decides, you know what? Fuck this. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. I'm out. And even though the crazy, here's the cool thing about their relationship. Even though it's been strained for a while now and they're really distant, they still have that deep down connection like, no, we're in this together. This is our baby. We're not ending it, especially not like this. So Gene decides, you're right, let's move forward together without him. And it's just kind of crazy to me to think that Paul Stanley, the leader of, or one of the leaders and the lead singer of KISS, uh, one of the most popular bands to ever make music, is seeing a therapist. And it just goes to show you that all the fame, success, the money, uh, the women, I mean, hell, all that shit's nice. Who the fuck wouldn't want that? But if you're missing something, if something's not right before you get that and you never address it, None of that shit's gonna fix it, and you're still gonna be, you're still gonna have the issues, uh, still gonna have the issues that you were dealing with because you never addressed them. Of course, we find out later Paul does get those addressed because he's living a happy life, because has fifty years of touring under their, of touring and albums and performing under their belt, and like I said, they're still planning on doing more farewell tours, or the last one again, uh, so. Whatever it is, he does get it figured out, and it does lead to his um, to more six more longevity and success. So, with Asylum being released in 1985, there's another there's a two year gap between the next album. Uh, so, in '87, they do release uh, Crazy Nights, which becomes becomes a hit. And I've always found it so crazy that all these bands, you know, as popular as they are in America, it's just so crazy how wildly popular they get in other countries you know south america for one uh but so crazy nights uh has a song uh on the album called crazy crazy nights uh and it's just it hits the uh it hits the british charts with a with a uh with huge force um but crazy nights is another successful album that kiss puts out and they're going to end up putting out one more album before the 80s wraps up which is going to be something kind of rare for kiss with with hot in the shade that comes out in 89 uh not only is it well received but it's critically acclaimed kiss has always been like a redheaded stepchild to uh 
to critics, it's going back to their makeup days, you know, uh, one thing that Paul likes to talk about is one of the first newspaper articles written about Kiss when they first started getting prominent uh, is Kiss was labeled a sideshow, uh, a freak show, and they won't be remembered, uh, and they're going to have a quick stint, and they're not going to make it anywhere. Well, whoever wrote that obviously uh, didn't know what the fuck they were talking about, and Kiss got the last laugh in that. And so Crazy Nights, Crazy Nights is a, is a, is a da- it's a damn good album, and it has such a 80s like movie feel to it. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's weird. Crazy Nights, one time, uh, my dad used to, he used to work in the oil field, and he worked offshore, so he would be gone for three weeks at a time. So after church on Sundays, uh, we'd always hit up uh, Dollar General so he could buy razors, you know, he, he's, he wears hair tonic. Uh uh, <laughs> which is, I don't know why that's funny to me. It's just, it is, uh, he doesn't use gel. He's hair tonic and it's just such a, an old guy thing, but Hey, love you, dad. Don't take offense to that. Wear it. It's that's you. That stuff's awesome. Uh, anyways, so we were in Dollar General one time and you know, Dollar General doesn't have the most, especially not in the two thousands and 2000. God, this has got to be the mid two thousands, you know, I don't even think they had like a PA system. I think it was like a little gray little radio. Uh, and uh, I can't remember what was playing. If it was crazy, crazy. No, it was Reason Reason to Live was playing. And I have no idea why this is a core memory for me. But So when I think of this album, I think of just like what it seems like, what the 80s really seem like. It gives me a real 80s feeling. If that makes sense or am I just rambling, who knows. Hopefully you get what the fuck I'm trying to say. What I think, what I think happens is, there's still a lot like the guitar parts are still pretty rough, but the lyrics, it's more, it's kind of moving. There's some ballads coming out. There, these aren't. I wouldn't label any of these songs ballads. Not even reason to live. I, I really wouldn't. Um, but it has such good balance because you've got some of these softer songs. Then you go with songs like. Uh, Hell or High Water or No, 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 which really exemplify that fast and harsh guitar playing. And it just mixes so well together on this album. And I think maybe that's why it, it has so much success. But they put out Crazy cra- they put out crazy Nights, damn good album. Uh, takes takes off like wildfire in, in, uh, in Europe. And so I guess that takes us to our next point. Between the time of, between the two years of uh, Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade, which is coming, uh, the tour ends, uh, so that they leave, that leaves Paul about a year until the next album starts. Well, he explains that even though him and Gene did have a heart, a heart-to-heart conversation and had a small reconciling by Gene buying him a Porsche, uh, things still aren't very good, and it's still much of the same behavior between him and Gene. He still feels Gene isn't giving his fair fair enough attention to the band. He's doing his own side gigs. Paul's doing most of the work at heavy lifting. So Paul decides to say, fuck it. I'm going to do a solo tour uh, on my own. But he's not, don't misunderstand me, he's not quitting the band. He's just doing something on his own. And he's not apologizing for it. He's not asking permission. He's not going to use Kiss's stuff. And he's he just wants to get out there and have his own little creative space. 
And he's not over. He's not going to overreach either. He's not going to try to sell out arenas and stadiums. Yet he's going to he's going to book a book a line of uh, gigs uh, in clubs. And who does he pick to be his guitarist? Our good old buddy Bob Kulik. R.I.P. Bob. Uh, but Bob, him and Bob team up, and they do uh, they do this line of, of club gigs. Which God, that's so crazy. Like imagine, like let's say a popular who's a popular band right now. One of their lead singers or one of their members decides, I want to, like, let's say Metallica. What if what if Metallica decided one of the members, uh, Kirk, Robert, uh, uh, Lars, or James decided, hey, you know what? I want to take a break from you guys and do a, a, solo, a solo thing, and I'm going to book a few clubs. Like, holy shit, y'all are selling out arenas, and here you are, James, in this club here in town performing. Holy shit. And God, don't you just love, you know, how money can change things? Like, think about, think about, you know, us, us normal folks right now. You know, hey, I'm sorry if I'm gonna get you anything. Let me take you to lunch. Let's go get, you know, let me go get you a bouquet of flowers, a box of chocolates. No, when you have money, and you have a, an endless amount of money, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. Let me buy you a fucking Porsche. How about that? You know, it's a small token of my gratitude let's go just pick out this porsche that was used in the music video by the way might i add um just to show you that i half ass i half ass sorry uh does mean what you want it to mean so let's get into 1989 1989 rings in the new album hot in the shade and growing up you know i've listened to kiss out i've listened to all the kiss albums since since i was a kid never really I mean, honestly, when I was younger, I didn't care for many of the non-makeup albums other than Lick It Up. Uh, but Hot in the Shade, the older I've gotten, the more I, I I love this album. I think it is solid. And for some reason, I love the artwork. So the artwork is is just the, I think it's the Sphinx in Egypt. And it's got sunglasses on. And it's, and it's like a postcard. Um, and in the corner on the stamp, you know, it, it reads the title of the album, Hot in the Shade. I, I don't know. It's just... It's so basic, but yet so, uh, I don't know, it works. I feel like that guy from White Chicks, when, when they're on the runway and they drip the pa- get the paint dripped on him, he's like, oh, so, so brilliant, so bold, it's so brilliant. Uh, but hot in the shade. So this album clocks in at just, at just right around an hour. So as we've kind of talked before, I mean, that's kind of, almost double double the runtime of, of a normal kiss album up to this point you know since since the release of the debut album in 74 here we are 15 years later and now we finally have an album that has somewhere around 15 tracks and uh, clocking in at just about an hour um, and if you if you Apple does this cool thing when you look at albums uh, on your phone and in the app uh, it kind of points it has it'll notate a little star I guess it's like a hit or something. Uh, there's only one song on this album that has that, and it's Forever, which is, that that's the one, that song peaked, I want to say, I know it peaked in the top ten, I think it was number seven or number eight on the Billboard charts, because, I mean, it's a ballad, I mean, it's easy to listen to, it's, Kiss does a good job of keeping the melody good, the lyrics are, you know, it's a love song, uh, so it's very easy on the ears, and it's, it is a good song. It uh, doesn't exemplify a lot of the stuff a lot of us love about Kiss, but nonetheless, can't take away from a song that peaks in the top ten. Uh, but I think this album 
is so much more than just that one song. I mean, it comes off strong with Rise to It. And what's so cool about Rise to It, uh, so the first time I played it for my wife, she she thought it was a country song because it starts off kind of like a, it almost seems like a slide guitar. And um, it it just kind of, it kind of takes you back to when Paul talks about how he met Gene, he's wearing overalls. It's almost like full circle. Like, oh, look, it's a country song. But it's, it's not. And once that little guitar part ends, uh, Bruce comes in strong with the with the guitar lick, and Eric is beating the shit out of the drums. And then they do such a good job of, you know, matching Paul's vocals and the background vocals, kind of having that little uh, that little echo echo vocals in the back that was just so popular back in the '80s. Uh, but so it comes off strong uh, with rise to it, um, and then you go and you do the song "Betrayed," which Betray, I don't know. It's it seems kind of forced, but at the same time, they I mean they use that background vocal. It just sounds good. But the number three track on this album is "Hide Your Heart." The cool thing about "Hide Your Heart," obviously, so this is a cover. Not only in this year did Kiss, the same year did Kiss cover this song on their album, but somebody else also covered this song on their album, and that somebody else is Mr. Ace Freely. Uh, and so. Did either, did Kiss get win that Ace was going to cover it? Did Ace get win that Kiss was going to cover it? Of course, the story is, no, it just kind of happened. It's a coincidence. You know, my equilibrium. Sorry, that's my Ace Freely impression. Um, so, we ha- we just have two bands uh, who have strong ties to each other. Ought to coincidentally release a cover of the same song in the same time frame? Who knows? Uh, but that's a pretty cool thing there. Uh I don't know. It's just a little fishy to me, but I love both of them. I have both. I have both versions downloaded on my phone. <laughs> uh, but we're definitely getting a lot of songs about, you know, it's Kiss. We're gonna get a lot of songs about women and, and love and and sex, of course. Um, but one, another good song that I like on here that kind of describes of Paul's kind of love situation over the past this past decade in the '80s. Uh, Silver Spoon. You know, he's talking about a girl. He's like. You know, he's not born with a silver spoon. You know, kind of like some of these, I guess some people would say, these L.A. bitches are. Um, uh, so definitely, if you're looking at album standpoint, you know, side one, side A, I mean, definitely, is definitely a winner. It kind of fizzles off there at the end. There's kind of a lot of filler songs uh, here to finish it off. But, I mean, I could see, I could see this, this album being... Being one of Kiss's best, um, uh, I could put it over a couple of makeup albums. I mean, people consider that to be a, a golden era there. I could see this one definitely being over Hotter Than Hell or Dressed to Kill. Um, and then going back to, just kind of want to touch on a couple, two of the songs again. Going back to Forever. Uh, Forever's music video takes off, gets a ton of views, uh, and Rise to It, the song that starts off the album, gets uh, gets uh, gets a music video. And what's cool about the beginning of that, it's kind of like a flashback to in the early '80s. Gene and Paul are putting their makeup on in the mirrors, and Paul's trying to tell Gene, "Oh, we could do it. We could take the makeup off." And Gene's, "You're crazy, you know." Blah blah blah. And we all know that's what that's exactly what happens. So Hot in the Shade releases. Time three years pass. Uh, the normal kiss drama occurs in that three years. Uh, 
nothing notable. I mean, notable stuff, but I don't... It's a lot of almost the same situation that we've been discussing for the last 43 minutes, at least on this episode, and, you know, an hour and 45 in the last one. Uh, but let's fast forward three years to the year 1992. Brings the release of Kiss's... I want to call it the return to a hard, hard, harder rock, darker. You can definitely tell Kiss is kind of adjusting to this transition of rock music in the early to mid-90s uh, where rock is getting more grungy. The music industry is changing. It's getting a little bit, it's getting difficult for some of the bands of the 70s and 80s to find success, find what the listeners are wanting. Um, another example of a band that kind of struggled at this time, Motley Crue. Um, but Motley Crue may get their own episode one day, so let's not dive too much into Motley Crue right now. Let's finish up this story uh, with Kiss. Kiss releases the album Revenge. Revenge is a a harder, harder, rougher, coarser album. At fucking rocks. I love this album. And there's so many good things to talk about because there's so many good tracks. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the most tragic fucking thing that could possibly happen, not just to Kiss, but to any anyone, especially the sweetest person in the band, Eric Carr. So in 1991, uh, Paul is gets a call from Eric. Uh, Eric's Eric's freaked out on the phone. He's tells he's telling Paul, "Hey man, uh, just I spat up some blood, so I went to the doctor just to see what's going on and got checked out, and you know." You're thinking, oh, my buddy, you know, he's on the phone with me. All right, man, what's, is everything good, though, right? Everything's good? And Eric tells him that it, everything's not peachy. Uh, they do some tests on him, and they find a growth type, uh, like a tumor, um, on his heart. And um, when Paul asks him if it's anything, that do they think it's anything already? Is it just benign? Is it, you know, what is it? And Eric tells him, well, they think it might be cancer. On his heart, heart cancer of all fucking things, heart cancer. Like how? Who the hell? That's that's got to be one of the rarest forms of cancers. It just doesn't happen. You don't hear about that. So Paul, you know, kind of tells him to disregard it. Like, no, man, we don't. They don't know for sure. It could be anything. You know, let's not let's not jump to the most negative conclusions. And you know, you're gonna be fine. Let let's let's brush this thing off and just keep an eye on your health. And you're gonna be fine. But it's not fun. Not even a week goes by. And Eric calls him back to tell him, yeah, man, it is heart cancer. And as rare as heart cancer already is, this form of heart cancer is was extremely rare. Uh, at the time, and I don't know the stats now, but at the time, I mean, single digits, I mean, less than 10 cases in the United States a year. So it doesn't look good for Mr. Mr. Eric Carr. And as we know, he's no longer with us, but let's... Kind of continue to develop that that sad story, and it just it sucks. It really it really fucking sucks. You know, you have this, this sweet this sweet soul, um, this guy who's a little self conscious about himself because he's still worried that oh, I'm not the original drummer of the band, um, and he's had a lot of success these last ten years with this band, and it's gonna get cut short due to some weird anomaly like heart cancer. So Eric undergoes heart surgery, open heart surgery, where the doctors, um, they open it, <clears throat> excuse me, they open up his heart, um, took part of the heart out, and then reconstructed the heart. So Eric, 
Eric's going to be down for quite a while. I mean, he's going to have to stay in the hospital. He's going to have to to rehab and really look after his health. And one cool thing, guys, I think it's it's pretty important or uh, something that's pretty cool. If you haven't, I doubt any of you have seen it, uh, unless you're diehard Kiss fans like me. But Eric has a, I know there's at least one, but I think there's a string of videos of him that he records in the hospital. And it's just, it's kind of cool to see the some of the final you know, some of the final days of someone's life, especially someone as important uh, to us KISS fans as Eric Carr. Uh, so if there's anything you guys check out, is if it's songs, certain songs from this from this band or anything, uh, I implore you to just kind of check out the Eric Carr's video in the hospital uh, after you listen to this podcast and just kind of let the reality hit you that uh, this man was something... Something, something huge to this band and its fans. Uh, but I want to say the uh, album, the album's best song, um, definitely most popular, uh, is "God Gave Rock and Roll to You." Uh, this song is actually featured. It gets a music video, and, and it's featured in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, so they're going, you know. They get the green light to start recording this music video, of course. Now, Eric Carr, they're not thinking he's going to be able to uh, to be to be in this music video because of his health, and he's he's very frail. Um, he's very weak. There's just there's just no way, you know. They're thinking there's no way that we can we can make him do this. So Eric Eric can't uh, you know he can't play the tracks on the songs. So Kiss brings in Eric Singer. Um, who comes in actually and replaces Eric after his death to be their next drummer. And he's minus the reunion tour in 96. Eric is, was, has been their drummer ever since. Uh, he continues to be their drummer today. Um, but Eric Carr, he's desperate that he, he's desperately making it known. I want to work on this. I want, I want my fingerprints on this. He, it's almost like he seems that he knows that his time is coming to an end. And Paul, is trying to just reassure him that you just need to take care of yourself, but he acknowledges with the ability of hindsight. Now he understands why Eric was so adamant that he wanted to be a part of this album because he's not gonna. This is gonna be his last time to perform with the band and perform at all. Um, but Eric does come out to L.A. to to record the music video, and he does sit behind the drum kit. Um, and I think we've talked about it already. Eric Carr has this huge set of hair. He's got this just huge mop on his head. Uh, but due to the cancer treatment, he's lost all of his hair. And so they have to put on a massive wig uh, to kind of encapsulate uh, his big his big hair. So rock, uh, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, uh, the song takes off, the music video takes off, and they go ahead and and they, they go ahead and start recording the rest of the album, and they make it known to Eric Carr. And with his blessing, they move on to uh, to make the record with Eric Singer as the drummer. Uh, so before we leave, God, uh, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, this, even though it's probably the most popular song from, from the album, I love this song. Um, when I used to talk about uh, music and we get on a tangent with Kiss with my old my good friend Matt from my previous job. Uh, he would all we talk about Kiss and he would always say you know God gave rock and roll to you. Uh, so this song, it's catchy, it sings well, it listens well. 
Paul gets kind of preachy there at the end. Sometimes it used to kind of deter me. Uh, but the, the older I've gotten, and especially with how my where my life's been the past, you know, six months or so, um, which is a good, which is a very good place. Uh, this song, the lyrics, when you read them and you hear them, uh, they're actually really strong lyrics. Uh, I mean, some of the in the verse, you know, Gene and Paula talking about how God, I guess, explaining their their story a little bit. You know, you don't have money or a fancy car. You're tired. Of wishing on a, a fallen star, um, stuff like that. You know, you got to work hard to make it. Uh, if you've got this dream, no one's going to do it for you. Uh, and if you want to get far, uh, what I love is uh, uh, if you want to get far, uh, man, you got or you got to sweat or you won't get far. And uh, one of the most reality checks from this song is because it's never too late to work nine to five. Um, and over the last month or so that I've been making this podcast, this song has been playing over and over and over in my head. And I just keep saying the same words. It's never too late to work nine to five. It's never too late to work nine to five. I'm still working a pretty much a nine to five job. Um, and I don't know where this podcast is going to take me if it's ever going to help me not work. I mean, I, lo- I want to dream big. Of course, I want this thing to take off and... And uh, I don't. I know I have some of the listeners to do it, but even if it doesn't, I'm working hard. This podcast means so much to me, and I'm working hard so that I don't have. I have more more to me than just this nine to five job, and uh, so that's just how important that one song from this album is to me. So the the time goes on while Kiss is making the album. Um, and they get in the fall of 1991. Uh, Paul gets a call that Eric had a stroke and is in the hospital. And what's explained to him is that uh, his cancer spread spread to his brain. He had a stroke, called 911, and fell unconscious. And over the next few weeks, he had he stayed in the hospital. But Paul couldn't get any kind of information from his parents or anyone. No one would talk to him. And then in November, he gets a call again, and he's told that Eric's, Eric has passed away. And so they fly out, him and Gene fly out to New York to attend his funeral. Um, Ace and Peter are there, along with a lot of other people. Um, Eric's family, his girlfriend at the time are there. And Paul, Paul uh, recalls feeling a bunch of, of resentment towards him. And it's found out that his girlfriend says that, you know, Eric had kind of painted Gene and Paul as bad guys, as the bad guys there at the end of his life for shutting him out from Kiss and denying him uh, his last moments with his baby, which is the band, uh, which is what he loved the most. And Paul talks about how at the time he didn't feel like he had done the wrong thing, but it hit him. Maybe he didn't handle it things the best while Eric was was sick. He did deny him. He did cut him off from the band, and he starts to have that feeling of regret. And he goes and he, you know, he says he should have known, but it's so hard. You don't you don't think, especially in a larger than life band with larger than life members, you just never think one of them's gonna pass away, even if they get sick, even if they get heart cancer. Um, he's just gonna be sick and weak for a while, but it's gonna come back. But he doesn't, and he passes away. And, you know, even though Kiss already has Eric Singer lined up, 
but it can't be easy to just move on from I mean a bandmate for the past 10 years is, is gone and someone else is sitting in his uh, in his seat I have to imagine if you're recording if you're on stage or performing you're singing and you look back if they let me check let me look what Eric's doing and it's Eric but it's not Eric Carr it's Eric Singer um, so a very a very sad ordeal and it's it's a little tough to even talk about even though I never I wasn't born I was born after Eric had passed away um, but being so deep in in the lore of kiss <laughs> the kiss lore uh, and loving this band so much yeah but it's still it's still a sad ordeal and it's still sad to I guess to talk about but but kiss moves on they have to I mean the world doesn't stop and they're gonna continue to finish this album. Uh, Revenge, and it turns out to be a solid album. Um, another almost almost an hour uh, album, almost an hour of runtime. Uh, but we get songs like Unholy, uh, Take It Off, which is you know real strong, real harsh, but another sexy song talking about women. Of course, you can imagine what they're talking about. Uh, the song Domino, uh, another song that gets another music video on this album. So now Kiss is just on a roll. And they're putting out albums. These songs are these songs are getting they're getting music videos. They're getting plays. They're getting and um, uh, Domino. So uh, I had when Deadpool two uh, was announced and they said Domino is going to be a character. I had thought like, man, wouldn't that be awesome if Kiss Kiss's song was in the movie? Uh, but to my to my surprise, it wasn't, which should be no surprise. Kiss isn't probably going to make it into a Marvel movie, um, but the album ends ends with a song uh, called "Car Jam 1981." Car spelled C A R R, like Eric Carr. Uh, it was actually recorded in 1981 during the uh, um, the Elder recordings. Um, it was recorded with Ace and Eric. Um, and so they, they brought, they brought the track out, they edited it, uh, of course Ace isn't with the band, so they took some of Ace's parts out, and as a nice little tribute to their friend and, and former bandmate, they include this song, which is mainly just a, a jam session of Eric on the drums, which this song just encapsula- encapsulates just how fucking good this man was. So Kiss finishes out. Um, revenge. They do their tour. At the end of 1992, they begin begin this quote-unquote quiet period. But during this time, I mean, the next album doesn't really come until 1996. So now we're coming up on 20 years of Kiss. Uh, So, I mean, that's an entire generation. Um, Now we're getting into, you know, a second generation of, and maybe possibly a third generation of Kiss fans. And these things start coming to fruition called kiss conventions. You know, it's it's literally what what the title is. I mean, people are buying tickets to this convention featuring Kiss. They're doing Q and A's. There's a whole lot of memorabilia. Hell, people are fucking getting married in Kiss makeup uh, at these conventions. Now, I'm not gonna deny that I wouldn't do that. But I'm not certain that my partner would have allowed that. But that's how big this is. I mean, people are people love this man so much they they're gonna start their marriage off by uh, by uh, <laughs> wearing demon and star child makeup and saying I do. Um, so, but these things are taken off, and Kiss 
I mean, Kiss is doing successful with them, um, but now people are starting to the calls for hey, not only do we want you know Gene, Paul, Bruce, and Eric, what about Peter and Ace? What's what's going on with them? Are they in on this too? And so at one of the conventions one day, <clears throat> Peter's invited uh, to come and play drums during an acoustic set. And he gets on he gets on stage with the guys and and this is the cool this is the cool thing about Eric Singer is he's not fighting it. He knows. He could probably read the writing on the wall about this whole thing. He's probably feeling like, you know, hey, if Peter comes and jams in front of the crowd and it really kicks off, oh shit. I might be out of the band. But Eric's just cool about it. He's gonna let it happen. And what happens, yes, people love it. I mean, it's a reunion of what they fell in love with. Um, they want it back. And Peter gets on stage and he sings Hard Luck Woman with the band, um, which is one of the songs he sings, another one of his ballads. Um, and Paul kind of explains it that uh, he hadn't rehearsed, he couldn't remember all the words, God, which is kind of hard, but I guess if you don't perform it every day like you used to, you, I guess you would forget. But, I mean, that's he was singing that on stage to, to thousands of fans almost night in, night out for years. So around this time, MTV is doing their MTV Unplugged sessions, which most of you probably should remember. Um, if you've ever, not, if you've not ever watched any on YouTube, definitely you don't even have to be the Kiss one. I mean, watch some of the Alice in Chains, uh, Nirvana. Uh, they're doing these Unplugged sessions, so they're doing acoustics, uh, acoustic sets, and you know that's what Kiss is doing on these conventions. So MTV gets gets kind of wind of that, and they're like, "Hey, we have a fucking brilliant idea. Why don't you guys?" Do an unplugged session with us. And then MTV pitches the idea, hey, why don't we also, while we do this, why don't we do a little reunion? Have Peter and Ace with you guys. And at first it's kind of like, a, ooh, yeah, that sounds good. But in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, I don't know about this. But that's what happens. Uh, so prior to, to shooting this, you know, Kiss has to rehearse. So if you think about it, Kiss's music is very fast playing. And if you're on electric guitar... Uh, electrics are a little bit more forgiving uh, than the acoustics, so they've got to go into some pretty good rehearsing to get all the music um, to make sure they can play all the music on acoustic guitars because it's a little crisper, it's less forgiving, the strings are heavier, they're wider, you know, it's a little bit more heavy work on the fingers. So they've got to go and, and rehearse, and they've got to get Peter and Ace in the studio to rehearse too, uh, which they had no idea how that was going to go. Is it going to be a fight? Is it going to be a is it going to be a shit show? Are they going to be clean? Are they going to be sober enough to focus on this? But they get it done. They get into the studio. You know, at first, the wind's kind of knocked out of you. But what happens is that old natural feeling just kind of comes back. You know, hey, Pete, hey, Paul, hey, Ace, how's it going? Start jamming. And it's just like, it's almost like, let's just pick up right where we left off. Yeah, there's some teaching we got to do. You guys kind of forgot your parts that you fucking wrote. Because you were so blitzed at the time. But uh, one of the guys that was teaching Ace some of the parts that he plays was Tommy Thayer. And Tommy Thayer is right now is Kiss's current uh, guitar player. Um, but he's teaching Ace, hey, this is how you would play it. This is how you play it. This is how you fucking wrote it, remember? Uh, obviously, he didn't say it like that. He's very respectable, very respectful guy. And he's very patient with Ace during these, uh, these rehearsals. Uh, so a majority of the show is going to be... Uh, Gene, Gene, Paul, um, Eric, and Bruce. 
Um, and Peter and Peter and Ace are going to come out and do uh, about I think four songs. And it's just so crazy. If you watch the video, you'll you'll hear him say, "Hey, let's get the rest of the family together." And everyone's anticipating it, and they come out. And it's not the biggest crowd; it's a small, intimate crowd, and it, it just goes nuts. And you can say the dollar signs hit kiss. You can say the nostalgia did. But it clicked and it made sense. The next step is a fucking reunion. So, Eric Singer, Bruce Kulick, hell of a... Guys, you guys are hell of bandmates and you produce awesome music. But, hey guys, we're going to get back with our uh, with our original Migos. Um, put it however you want it. That's just kind of what happens. That's the way it is. Um, things may not have worked out well. Uh, as we know with the reunion in the long run um, but the relationships aren't splintered uh, of course Bruce doesn't return to the band after the reunion's over uh, Eric Singer does um, and he's still rocking and rolling today um, but Kiss is unsure of where this reunion yeah let's do it but we don't know I mean is it gonna is it gonna make money should we just appeal should we try to have a little bit higher ticket prices to a smaller crowd you know what are we gonna do uh they weren't prepared for what was hap- what was going to happen. They didn't know that that Kiss fans everywhere were longing for a return of the long lost Peter, Chris, and Ace Freely. So they weren't prepared for this quote unquote financial juggernaut that was waiting for them to do a reunion. But in typical Kiss fashion, right before they can take off, there's a stall. Uh, Tommy Thayer, not only he's going to help with Ace, but he's really tasked to help Peter Chris uh, learn his learn his drum parts again. And as Paul discusses, during the years that he wasn't with Kiss, he wasn't performing, he wasn't honing his craft, he was actually uh, neglecting it in total. And, and Tommy calls Paul on the phone and tells him, hey man, there's no way y'all going to fucking do this. This guy doesn't remember anything. He, he can't play at all. And so Paul tells him, hey man... I really need you to stick with this. And eventually, it's like teaching a dog, you know, old tricks. He, he can learn to roll over again. And Paul and Peter does learn to play his old stuff again. Now, can we ask him to play new stuff? Uh, we don't know. But he can at least, we, we are able to reteach him to play the old stuff that he helped write, I guess. Uh, but he does get him in... He does get him into good enough shape to be able to uh, play for this reunion. So Kiss starts making plans. Let's do this reunion tour. Let's get it going. And the manager tells them, okay, we're going to open up at Tiger Stadium. And, you know, remember, Kiss doesn't know how big this thing is going to be in Tiger Stadium. You know, that's a 10,000 people venue. They're not thinking, well, that's huge, man. Like, hey, let's not book something and only sell and fill half the seats. And that's not what happens. So they book it, and within an hour, within an hour of tickets going on sale for Tiger Stadium, they find out just how much KISS fans everywhere want the original lineup in makeup back. In less than one hour, the show the show is sold out. Okay, let's book Madison Square Garden. Same deal. Sold out. Let's go to the next one. Sold out. The next sold out. Holy shit. We're about to sell out night after night, and we're about to make a shit ton of money. So June of 1996 comes, and here comes that first show. Tiger Stadium in Detroit. I mean, 
do I have to spell it out? Where it all began, Detroit Rock City. Um, this is where the reunion starts. Here we are, guys. It's like the twenty has twenty years really gone by like that already. Twenty two years. Um, and there, it the uh, the music video, or I guess the, just the video of the performance on YouTube is just it's fucking awesome. You know, you wanted the best, you got the best, and then it comes in and. It's like they never left. And so the rest of the tour kicks off. And, and you know, for the first few months, even though there's some reserves that is are the same mistakes going to happen, uh, things are going good. You know, the boys the boys are getting along. They're going to dinner together. Um, Peter, Peter and Ace are, you know, are saying they're not going to make the same mistakes. And things are just, things are looking really good. And contrary to their belief going into this, Paul and Junior like, okay, this is working. How do we keep this going? But you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, behavior, bad behavior starts creeping back in, and this man, the manager of Kiss at the time, the touring manager, he's not fucking playing around. And as the years go on, their demand, Ace and Peter's demands are just ridiculous. Like they act like they had been relevant for the past decade or so. Um, he starts to he starts with the attitude of listen, you have a second shot at this right now. Get it together, you're gone. Why don't you just ride this wave and be grateful? Um, Peter at one in one show he had called called the manager and he said, hey, I can't play tonight, man. My hands hurt. There's no way I can do the show. So thinking he's gonna get, I guess thinking he's gonna get sympathy. We don't know. Uh, so the manager says, fine, whatever. And he calls one of the roadies and he's like, hey, shave your beard because you're going to be on tonight. And just as Peter said his hands hurt and he couldn't play, when he finds out someone's going to play for him in his place, he loses his shit. Talks about how the fans aren't going to accept this person and I'm the cat man and I'm, the, I'm this and that. And so now we can tell where the mindset is and where the behavior is at. So the tour comes to an end in 1997, and to major success, Ace and Peter are millionaires again. Um, and instead of, as it's explained, instead of being grateful, they're bitter, they're defensive, they're upset, they're self-centered. Ace talks about how everyone should thank him and kiss his ass, because if it wasn't for him quitting the band, there wouldn't be a reunion. Uh, so the manager's trying to convince Gene and Paul, let's dump these two. We can do this without them. We don't need them. But what's decided is, let's not get rid of them. Here's what we'll do. We'll make a reunion record. And that's exactly what happens in 1998. Psycho Circus is released. <laughs> uh, the, tri- the title track of the album is the song Psycho Circus. And uh, one of the funny things about this song, uh, I-, I think it just happened because I had just listened to it. And I think Danny had asked me one day, just randomly, she's like, man, do you know what my favorite song is? And the first thing I blurted out was Psycho Circus. It's, and so now it's always dubbed that, oh yeah, Danny's, Danny's favorite song, Psycho Circus. So we'll be in the car and I'm like, hey, you know what, I want, I want to listen to your favorite song. She's like, what? What do you want to listen to? And I'm like, Psycho, and it's Psycho Circus. And she just gives me a side eye. She's like, oh, whatever. Unfortunately, people may be around us and they might hear that and they'll think, damn, this lady, this girl really loves Psycho Circus. I mean, she's a huge Kiss fan. I don't I don't see it, but okay. 
So they make the album. Uh, really, I think there's there's a lot of hype to this album. That's probably what makes it so popular. But when you sit down to listen to it, it's just not the most. It's not the best Kiss album. It opens strong with the song "Psycho Circus." Yes, very good song that they still play today. I love it. Love to hear it. Uh, Ace Freely on vocals on "Into the Void," which he still uses in his live performances, which is a good song. Other than that. Really nothing other special to this album other than it's the first uh, it's the first Kiss album with the original members in makeup um, since nineteen since nineteen eighty with Unmasked. Now I know we do have Creatures of the Night, which is in uh, nineteen eighty two, but remember that's with Eric Carr as the Fox and not Peter Chris as the Catman. So Kiss kicks off a, a Psycho Circus tour. Um, and here we are in, in the middle of the album, and Ace Freely wants out. He wants to work on his solo album. Hey, this reunion is because of me. A year later, ah, fuck this. I want to get out. I've I got to work on another solo album. So in order to keep the tour going and the band together, the only way they can do this is by discussing how, okay, how a thing's going to end again. So here we are. Two years ago, Kiss is on the verge of, of this fantastic reunion and we're gonna make a lot of money and we keep this thing going now we've done it it's falling apart okay let's just get the end in sight and get to that end and see where we're at <laughs> thus this could bring in the first farewell tour of uh, I think what are we up to six or seven farewell tours right now <laughs> and so it's decided that we're going to do the farewell tour Let's start in the year 2000. What, what better year to do it? The year 2000 to uh, do a farewell tour. Crazy. It's, it's fucking crazy. So let's do a farewell tour, the year 2000. Here we are in the year 20, 2023. And guess what's going to kick off in, uh, in the fall of this year? The last, the last shows of Kiss Ever. I mean, the end of the road tour, I think, started in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Holy shit, we've been on a farewell tour for 23 years, boys. <laughs> but it's people like me that they could do to be able to do that. Because, yeah, yeah, I'll buy tickets. And so, as the tour goes on, Peter's miserable, which is kind of insane to think about. Uh, Paul says that on his dressing room, while on the uh, farewell tour, he's posting a countdown until show how many days until the tour is over. Can you imagine this thing you've been away from for over 10 years? Um, you come back to, and it, you come back to your family. You're making the crowd happy. You're making millions of dollars. And yet you're so miserable. And you have a countdown as to when is this thing going to be over. And according to Peter and Paul, I'm sorry, according to Paul and Jean, it's it sucks. It's something... All they're doing is trying to basically coerce Ace and Peter, according to them, of course, to let's go on with the show. Let's finish what we started. We got to get through this. But how the fuck do we, how do we get through this and then be done with it? And so as we talked about during uh, his final tour of playing the wrong stuff, playing too slow, t playing too fast on purpose, the same thing's beginning to happen. And... So now the reviews 
the reviews are starting to come in about the tour, and they're terrible. And Paul can't help but say, well, you're fucking right. That's accurate. We fucking suck. It sounds like shit. So then they're going to play. They took a week off. In the, they took a week off, and they have a show in, in California. Well, Ace is all the way on the East Coast. Ace went back home to New York. And the band apparently had a rule back then that if anyone has to, if anyone's going to travel, I guess, a significant distance, especially cross country, uh, they're going to have to, they have to be back a day before the show. So if the day's on Monday, Monday evening, they need to be back by Sunday afternoon. Well, he didn't show up until the very last minute. I mean, he still, he had, it was a fight to get him on the plane. It was a fight to get him out of his room he was so late that as we discussed tommy thayer who was on tour with them who was helping coach ace and peter they put him in ace freely's makeup and had him had him ready to go and this was i think it was literally an hour or so before the show when ace showed up and saw tommy in makeup ready to perform with kiss as ace freely and the sad thing is that the band traveled with a spaceman costume to anticipate something like this because they knew it wasn't really far-fetched that this may happen. So then in the year 2001, there's a break in the farewell tour. The farewell tour is going on, but they're going to take it to Asia. And the decision's made. Fuck it. Peter, you're gone. They called Eric Singer, who, thank God, he was not only one available, but willing to do this, uh, willing to finish the tour. And... Peter's argument was that the fans are never going to accept it, blah, blah, blah. It's my makeup. The decision was made. We've already compromised the characters once before in the past. We're not going to do that. If we, if someone's replaced, the next person is coming in, but they're going to wear that same makeup. So that's what they did. Eric Singer comes in, um, and he wear, he dons the, the Catman's makeup. And Paul explains Eric coming back is like a breath of fresh air. It even... And it's, it's like history keeps repeating itself in this band. Ace's game picks up. Ace plays better Ace plays better with a better drummer. And But, of course, his behavior doesn't really last. His good behavior and up playing doesn't last terribly long. So they are able to finish the farewell tour. They come back home. They have a little... They have some time off for a few months. Uh, Paul ends up going through a divorce with his wife, Pam. And Kiss is kind of stagnant for a while, but the main roster appears to be Paul, Gene, Eric, and Ace. Well, in 2002, they got booked to perform Rock and Roll All Night uh, for the uh, finale of the Winter Olympics. So, they if that that's supposed to air on Sunday, they got to be there. They need to rehearse and all that, so they need to be there by Friday. So everyone gets there on Friday. Well, not everyone. Paul, Gene, and Eric get there. And Ace is not there. Can't hear from him. Can't get a straight answer. They end up calling Tommy Thayer to fly in and get there. But of course, guess who comes in last minute? Ace Freely. Poor Tommy. He's just, he's Mr. Reliable. He's being, he's like, uh, he's almost like Derek Jeter. He's there to come in clutch for you, only for your, uh, for your golden boy to come in. I mean, thank God he comes in, but he comes in without ever giving the solid answer that he's going to do it. But now everybody knows in the band, 
if Ace can't do it, we know Tommy can do it. So Ace, in or out, we know we're going to get the show done. And if you're out, we're probably going to get it done better. So there comes the end of the farewell tour. Well, we know it's not the end of Kiss, so what what's going to happen? Well, with now things gelling so good with Eric and Tommy, the band is is playing good. They're playing better. They're getting along. They're still they're performing. Their shows are picking up, and they're still making good music. So now comes the idea. Well, maybe the farewell tour was just a farewell to Ace and Peter. And so I think that's how we get to where we are now. Farewell to the original four, but let's welcome in the same Kiss Four characters, the Star Child, the Demon, the Catman, and the Spaceman, but we're going to have the Catman and the Spaceman played by Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer now. People were still buying tickets. People were still wanting to know what's next, what's next, when are you going to come here? So... I know we just had the farewell, but why quit? And we can still, there's still money to be made, good times to be had. And yes, it's not all about the money. You still, I can't imagine doing something for over 20 years and loving it. Why would I want to stop if I can still do it and do it successfully? So Kiss finishes the farewell tour and it's almost, it's not, we, we know it's, the story isn't over, but it's, and it's not like the, the, the band goes part time, but then we do know that all the other members, they're starting to become older. They're, they're getting into their 40s. And they're enjoying other parts of life. And using KISS as... I don't know what's the best way to explain it. They're using KISS as a good job to continue to enjoy the rest of life. While we know that's what they make money, they're, they're engaging in other good activities. So it's as if everyone's maturing and accepting how good this has been. And let's not force things to let's not force things to to cause us to falter. Rather, let's enjoy it and see how long this thing can go. And so they continue this thing. They continue with tu- they continue touring uh, year in the years following with Tommy and Eric. And the morale is up. The work ethic is up. Everyone's got pride in what they're doing. And so they're putting out. They're putting out quality shows, and now we know that another album doesn't come for years down the line, but the band is in a good state. The negativity isn't there. Some of the struggles that they were dealing with on that farewell tour with Ace and Peter are gone. Now, that's not to say everything was peachy. What happened then is what's still happening now, which I think it's a little small-minded, in my opinion, to think Eric and Tommy as imposters. Listen... I think Paul brings up a good point. Kiss is the four characters. That's what Kiss is. And this isn't to dismiss Eric Carr either. We've we've discussed my love for Eric Carr and how I think he's the greatest drummer that this band has had. But Kiss is the Star Child, the Demon, the Catman, and the Spaceman. And it's unfortunate that Peter and Ace couldn't continue to fulfill their characters that they helped create. But if someone else can do it, that's how Kiss has to that's how Kiss has to uh Finish, finish its life cycle, which hopefully that's what's going to be happening, ending 2023 and into early 2024. As much as I love the band, it has been 50 years. Um, it is, it's time. I mean, they put out an album uh, in 2009 and in 2012 with Sonic Boom and Monster. I mean, it's just, to me, it's time. 
I support them, of course. And I do have some Sonic Boom, uh, Modern Day Delilah, and then Monster. Uh, I think it has uh, uh, Hell or Hallelujah. But other than that, that's just about that's just about it. And I'd love to. I'd love to. I've seen them twice after those, after those have come out. You know, I'd love to see all the old songs perform. But now that I've seen them, just in my opinion, with this new, with this last tour that's coming, well, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I know that's going to be expensive. Am I willing to spend that money to see the same show that I've seen? There's not going to be any new songs. So, following the years of the farewell tour to now, Kiss. Paul says it best, KISS doesn't just survive, yet it thrives. It's got the right mixture of guy of it's got the right mixture of minds and work ethic and pride to continue to make it work. They don't have to force themselves to get in the studio. They can focus on all the other aspects in their life. And like we talked about just a few minutes ago, that is the maturity that the band members have had after the farewell tour. It's almost a no drama clause. We're too old, we're getting too old for for all this nonsense we don't, we're running at we're running out of time rather than gaining time and now I mean they're from the mid 2000s to now think of all the things that they've been a part of I mean they Scooby Doo cartoons Gene had his show Family Jewels Paul has Paul's has his family he's got his four kids and his wife uh, Eric and uh and Tommy have their families. So it's finally been, they finally reached the perfect mixture to be able to live a fruitful and happy life, but still do the one thing that they love, and that's rock and roll. Rock and roll all night and party every day. Minus maybe the partying every day, I guess. And so that's kind of how we get to where Kiss is today. You know, everyone, they still do produce some of the, uh, the the live albums alive. There's a live three. And there's a live four. Um, but now, remember when they make those live albums, they they can't really use some of the older. They can't use the older songs because it's, they've already been on the past previous albums. So now that they're not making music so much, there's really no need for any new alive albums. And so what's happened is Kiss. You know they've had two they've had two albums so they've been able to do two tours like that, but then they can go on tour, uh, either co-headlining with other bands like they've done with uh, Def Leppard in the past. Uh, they've done their Freedom to Rock tour where they go across arenas uh, across the United States. That's just what they did in 2016 when I saw them. They'll play special gigs, um, and now. Over the past two or three years, I think it's been long lengthened by COVID, uh, the end of the road tour, um, which is supposed to be now their final set of shows that Kiss is ever going to do. They might do a couple special events, but we'll see. Um, but that's it, folks. We've successfully taken the journey. We took the plunge. You stuck the course. Uh, you stuck with the course to go from day one of Kiss all the way to where we are now. An almost 50-year journey, and in, in in over a three-hour period. So I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I appreciate you guys being here and discussing something that's very important to me and that I love. And as 
as we talked about in the first episode, why this band is so important to me and why I love it so much goes back to one thing. And it's not just how badass their music is, how badass these guys were, how many chicks they got, how much money they got. No, it was because it was shown to me by someone who I deem so special in my life, who's no longer with us, my Uncle Paul. This was his favorite band, and he showed it to me when I was a kid, and somehow it stuck to me the way that it stuck to him. And now all I do is I have joy when I listen to Kiss because I think about Paul. I think of all the good times we had, and I appreciate and I love the fact that I get to share that with you guys. So guys, I can't thank you enough for listening to the show, tuning in, uh, leaving the good comments that you do, the feedback, and the ratings. Guys, we still have a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you haven't already, if you like what you're hearing, if you love the show, please, guys, consider leaving a rating on Spotify and Apple. Uh, and, guys, give yourselves a hand. Congratulations. I'm happy to announce that we passed over 100 plays in just two episodes this past week. Guys, that is fucking awesome to say. You guys have been the absolute best audience. And I love the fact that I've already been able to do a giveaway. And I'm hoping that we can get to our next goal of 200 followers on the Facebook page. And we could do another one. Guys, join me next week. We're going to jump into some TV shows. And who remembers when AMC went on their little golden run back in 2009 through, I think, what, 2013 when they had all those all those shows. I mean, Breaking Bad was even before that, but at the same time, so think about this. In one year, they would have episodes of Breaking Bad, The Walking Dead, and I think there was a show that was strong for a couple seasons in The Killing. Uh, AMC was, I mean, that was, the tu- that was the network to tune in. But guys, I appreciate you being here for this third episode. Uh, being here for our weekly thing on Mondays. I hope that you continue to listen to the listen to the episodes, enjoy the show, give the Facebook page a like if you haven't already, like and subscribe to the channel, rate the show if you love it, guys, and I'll see you back next week. <laughs>